Neither snow nor rain nor heat nor gloom of night stays us from making another episode of the Nerd Byword Podcast. This week, homework assignments. The Byword starts now. Ladies and gentlemen, nerds, welcome to episode 179 of the Nerd by Word podcast. I'm Dave. I'm here with my buddy Chris. And this week, we are doing one of our famed and fabled homework episodes. Chris has assigned me a comic book to read, and I have assigned him a comic book to read. And both of us had to step a little out of our comfort zone this time around. But first, as always, it is time for... All right, Chris, this is actually really a, a, a actual positive news story for a change. What have you got? Yeah, so um, a gameplay, as of time of recording, a gameplay uh, trailer was released for uh, the new Indiana Jones game, Indiana Jones and the Great Circle. Um, and it is uh, reportedly set in between Raiders of the Lost Ark and the Last Crusade movies. So peak Indiana Jones era None of the geriatric indie. Uh, I'll, I'll love to Harrison Ford. I, I actually really enjoyed Dial of Destiny. Go back and, and check our, our review of it. Um, and I, I go up for uh, uh, the one with Shia LaBeouf as well. Um, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. But um, this is is peak Indian is prime, if you'll, if you'll forgive uh, a sports reference here on a nerd-centric podcast. But uh, gameplay looks great. It is switching back and forth between first and third person. Um, and uh, the big news, I think, coming out of this is it is a Microsoft-exclusive game. It'll be on Game Pass day one. It is set to release this year in 2024. Um, so it is going to be, it's marketed, um, excuse me, it's developed by Machine Games, Bethesda, um, and is, is going to launch uh, this year exclusively on Microsoft. And uh, some of the Sony kids, not too happy about that, even though that has been their calling card. So uh, kind of fun to see. But everything looks great on this. Um, I'm telling you what, first person punching Nazis in the face, Dave, that, that's going to feel great. Yes, yes, I'm looking forward to that very, very much. Um, it's interesting because <laughs> I watched, uh, I watched, you know, the, the the footage that was released and uh, spent some time meditating o- over that a little bit because um, you can kind of see the backlash already coming. Not from, not just from the fact that it's exclusive now to Microsoft platforms, PC and Xbox, but also that it is first person. There's already been like some weird rumblings there. Now, obviously, given um, the Uncharted series, which is basically uh, Indiana Jones inspired, and of course, the Tomb Raider series, both being uh, third person action adventure games, I can understand why they decided to go a different route. Also, Machine Games is um, a a developer very familiar with developing first person games. I think they were involved with the the most recent uh, Wolfenstein games, for example, first person shooters. So they're definitely developing within their wheelhouse, which I think can only be a good thing in this case. Uh, they've kind of perfected their way of making uh, a first person game. And so translating that over 
um, is probably not too difficult. But yeah, there's already been some rumblings about you know that, and I'm I'm assuming a lot of that is coming from the the, the Sony fanboy side of things, who are uh, what 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 do the kids say these days online? But hurt. Um, that this is a uh, that this is an exclusive on the on the Xbox side and actually looks really good. The main criticism level that Microsoft, being that Xbox doesn't have a lot of good exclusive games, well here comes one and right away, you know the nitpicky brigade has to come and try to find something wrong with it. Based on the footage I've seen, I'm very excited to play this and I think I'm going to enjoy it a great deal if you know the final game delivers what the the early footage here is promising. So uh, I'm I'm totally psyched for this one. I think this is uh, this is a good time. I'm a big Indiana Jones fan, going back to his prime. Can you imagine if they would have done like a, a sequel to Dial of Destiny and you have a stamina meter like in Breath of the Wild, but it only has like one one little pie slice in it because he's old. <laughs> Got to do a lot of resting yeah. in between taking actions, you know. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm I like this man. I, I'm I'm kind of excited for this one, dude. Here's one. <clears throat> I, I remember playing and really, really enjoying Indiana Jones and the Emperor's Tomb on the original Xbox. So I'm very excited. Oh, that, that game was yeah. good, man. Yeah. Yeah, that game was good. I remember that well. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm very excited about this and very pumped. All right. Speaking of Microsoft exclusives, and if Dave is going to beat the drum for anything, it's physical media. Yeah, I am. Ha. Huh um sad story though uh here we are if you like physical media it looks like walmart is slowly downsizing and getting out of the physical media game not completely but at the very least downsizing their video game section now of course um it's funny the way the headlines for this are written thanks media for focusing on the wrong thing who at Um, sony everybody's who at sony wrote this article Who at Sony writes these headlines? That's exactly right. Um, So they're focusing on the fact that the first game that Walmart is pulling is uh, Starfield, uh, Xbox exclusive Starfield. Now, there is a a sort of vocal um, minority online that is very, very... uh, I don't even know, negative, I guess, about about Starfield. And so they're taking this... Yeah. Yeah, they're taking this as another sign that the, like the game is bad. But uh, the the way it's being reported right now is that Starfield is going to be one of the first games that is being pulled out of the Xbox section. Um, they are going to discard physical releases of Starfield because it is a, a much better uh, digital seller, apparently. Um, so they're going to go ahead and they're going to lower the price to three cents and then do a point of sale block in their system. So if they forget to pull one and somebody tries to buy it for three cents, they're not going to be able to. Um, and then they're going to uh, pull all of those copies off the shelf and discard them. Um, now, this is supposedly the first step in a in a more far-reaching uh, initiative. Uh, rumors have been rumbling since last year already, actually, that um, Walmart is going to downsize its physical video game section as it's not a, a big moneymaker for them anymore since so many people are buying digital these days. There's also been some rumblings that they might go ahead and uh, and downsize, further downsize actually their DVD and Blu-ray section as well. Um, so this is uh, most likely a first step in a much larger uh, move away from from physical media being sold uh, at Walmart. Um, but because it is Starfield, of course, there's a large contingent online that has to say, "See, Starfield sucks. Even Walmart is throwing throwing the game away." Um, 
But I think it's just once again sad because it's a, lo- a larger indicator that physical media is slowly in the way out. You know, we combine that with uh, with the Best Buy story, uh, where Best Buy is uh, you know ending its sales of DVD and Blu-ray discs, and you can just kind of see the trend coming along. Um, so I don't think this is mu- much of a call on the quality of Starfield, and and much more just a, a part of a, a larger trend uh, that has been going on for a while now, Chris. Uh, I have so much to respond. Uh, when it comes to this story. Um, First and foremost, um, I'm glad that I'm no longer a department manager at Walmart because this gave me PTSD in the inventory markdowns and inventory management of uh, the job that I had when I was in college. Um, Secondly, the Starfield haters, just get a life. That game is great. If if you liked Elder Scrolls, if you liked uh, Fallout 4, like this is... If if you want to make if you want to lob any criticism at Starfield is it's incredibly derivative of those two games like it very much put me in the same mindset as like what if uh, Elder Scrolls or what if uh, Skyrim to be specific was in space that's very much the vibe of Starfield but graphically speaking alone this game should have been up for all those awards uh the fact that it was left out of the game awards is a joke um i would put this right up there with next week's nerd commendation for me um as one of the most beautiful video games i've ever played and it just so happened that both of the games um Starfield and the one that i'm teasing for next week um were released in 2023 just absolutely spellbindingly beautiful. And I'm playing on a Series S, the quote-unquote lesser unit. So uh, it, it's just laughable to me. Um, I think something that retailers like this need to come to grips with, the reason that a lot of people like myself are, are going digital uh, as well, is not just for space. Like, if I get a better deal on a physical game, which one do you think I'm going to go with? And I've walked through the game sections at Walmart, and it's laughable. They don't mark anything down. Everything is full price. Why would I buy a physical game when I can go and see what publisher has a sale that's going on on the digital store, and I can get it for $20 less? Why would I buy from Walmart? And and Walmart is is one of the prime candidates of kind of standing on their laurels and roll back as a day of the past, I guess, because what what's the reason? Why would I buy from Walmart if you're not going to give me any kind of incentive? If I can get it from the same price at any other store or even better yet, cheaper somewhere else, why am I fooling around with you? Yeah, you're not wrong. I mean, uh, obviously, it makes perfect sense that uh, as a consumer, you go to the place where you can get the product at cheapest, you know, and if that's online, if that's digital, then, you know, you go for that. I certainly am doing that a lot with Steam games, you know. Dude, I, I'm uh, going I'm I going to, get a I'm lot going of to stuff. Facebook Marketplace for Switch games because, like, come why? Why? Like, I'll, I'll purchase stuff via Humble Bundle, you know, bundled, so I, I, I can get a ton of games at the same time for my Steam Deck, you know, so I under, understand the concept. You know, I, I, I tell you, this, this, this is only partially nostalgia, though, okay? Um, because I, I really think that there is something 
especially in video games, there used to be something really special about a physical release of a game. And that's been, now don't get me wrong, that's been eroded for a long time. It's not just that the physical medium is starting to be phased out. Um, But if you go back to like the the early 90s and you purchase yourself um, a Super Nintendo game, right? You get this really cool box with really like unique box art. You open that sucker up and there's your cartridge, right? But then there's also a totally awesome instructional that's, clip that's a, right, that's, that that's that's a, a fossil dave that is that no longer exists that instruction I manual know. with like i'm such a nerd because like i would go to gamestop or whatever even back in the 2000s when i was in high school i would go with my mom and i'd pick out a video game and i remember reading the back of that as on that trip home like like it was a, a new novel that I just had and I couldn't wait to get home and pop that sucker in there. And like, I was reading the instruction manual that had character bios and everything. And and we don't have that anymore. So what's the point of a physical game? And custom art, you know, as the other thing, like they, they, they hired artists to like, to, to, you know, create custom art for these things. There were writers that would like further flesh out the story. Um, th- to me, uh, that that entire package is not just about nostalgia it's about value you know there's something special about getting that and you know the the price of video game development keeps going up the price of of purchasing video games keeps going up but the value i think to me in a lot of ways has gone down you know you go and you buy a a, you go and buy a game for for a super nintendo that game is done you don't have to worry about a day one patch you know you have you have a totally awesome box you have the awesome instruction manual you know there are there the value of, of the physical medium in video games has gone down too. So at this and, point, it's been eroded so much that really all you've gotten is a disc. It's pointless at this point unless, anyways, if you can just download it digitally and you need a massive day one patch. I mean, you're going to have to download something anyways when you buy physical, right? So I understand why it's going away, but I'm, I miss the value of the old physical releases. Unless, and not to be a broken record, you can chalk it up to corporate greed because the only time that you're getting anything remotely of value is an overpriced collector's edition where you get a steel book or maybe a little statue figure or something like that, but you're paying $150 for that crap. Yeah, yeah, and 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 that's just that's not that's not worth it. I just want to play a video game, you know. Yeah, so uh bye-bye Walmart and some games, I guess. We'll see where that goes. Alrighty, folks, there you have it. That's it for Nerd News. Stick around. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, uh, we're going to dive into some homework assignments that we gave each other. What weird crap did I make Chris (laughs) read this time? (laughs) Stick around. Ladies and gentle nerds, welcome back. It is time for our byword. And yeah, it was. It's time for one of those long overdue homework assignment episodes where Chris and I assign each other some comic books to read. And we're gonna go ahead and we're gonna we're gonna start off with Chris's homework assignment. Uh, it is no surprise, as always, that when I uh, you know start talking comic books, some incredibly weird, obscure, or out there things come up, especially for people who are mostly versed in superhero comics. So. Um, 
This time I assigned to Chris The Life and Times of Scrooge McDuck by Don Rosa, a uh, series uh, that chronicles quite literally the, the early life and rise of Scrooge McDuck, Disney's richest duck in the world. Uh, the series was first published between 1992 and 1994 by Danish publisher Egmont, was eventually translated and published in the U.S. between 94 and 96 by Gladstone Publishing. Um, Don Rosa, artist and writer, both on this, is uh, you know working in a pretty established universe. If you're talking about duck um, sort of comic books from from Disney, the two biggest names are Carl Barks, who preceded Rosa, and then Rosa himself. Barks uh, just absolutely has a huge volume of stories that he's written about Scrooge McDuck. And in a lot of those stories, he references things that he supposedly did in his life. And part of what Rosa did here is assemble everything that Barks wrote about Scrooge McDuck's early life, and then write his story around those things to create a consistent continuity between the Carl Barks stories and the Don Rosa stories, which is a, is a really interesting way to go. Um, so I'm very, very interested to dive into some of the uh, the questions here that we have for each other when we do homework assignments, um, because the life and times of Scrooge McDuck loom large in my comic book story. Um, it turns out that this is one of the first comic books that I actually read uh, in a German magazine, Mickey Mouse magazine, uh, and I pretty religiously purchased that magazine, always hoping that they're going to put another chapter of life and times in there because I enjoyed it so much. Um, so obviously, uh, it's old. There's probably things that didn't age well, and I do still view it with a little bit of nostalgia. But I'm very interested, Chris, to get your take on this story. Uh, so first question for you. What did you like most about what you read in the life and times of Scrooge? Well, I think you already prefaced it. I think it's the nostalgia. I remember being a, I'm, I'm very much a 90s kid, um, and I remember DuckTales. Um, but what was really cool about reading this um, I also need to preface, I think I got the short end of the stick here when it comes to, to length of reading. <laughs> I gave Dave 12 issues uh, of a modern comic, and uh, I only read Trade Paperback 1, or Volume 1 of The Life and Times. There's a whole other volume out there. <clears throat> and I read for hours, and I thought I was doing good, and I, 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 I was I'd still quite a bit to read. But nevertheless, back to the question. I think the interesting thing here, though, if I'm all jokes aside, is what I enjoyed most is it uh, as you as you detailed in your pitch of this and kind of giving the background of the history is this gave me so much more rich context to a character that I saw as just a grumpy old rich man. Like when when you get to the DuckTales cartoon of the 90s, he's just this curmudgeon, this grumpy old guy, but kind of filling in the blanks of a life that was lived uh, at, at such a large degree. I mean, and then you also add to the fact of you and I are both the history nerds that we are, um, even though American history is not our first choice, I would I would I would imagine. But um but I, I think it's a really interesting and intriguing tale to be told here. Uh, and it, and it's for the most part is very, very well done. See, I'm really glad you say that because uh, I feel pretty much exactly the same way about the story. I was a big uh, DuckTales fan uh, as a child, uh, you know, growing up. And 
really ducktales is basically the Karl Barks show. Like a lot of the stuff that Karl Barks, um, you know, did in his comic books is, is sort of the inspiration behind what would become the ducktales cartoon. And, and so then getting the background, the history of this long lived character and how he became such a grumpy old rich guy, uh, is absolutely fascinating. And yes, it did totally play into my, my enjoyment of history there too. Um, so yeah, it, it, it kind of checked a lot of boxes for me as a kid when I first encountered this. Um, and it's really interesting because, you know, um, Rosa is, I believe, a, an American comic book writer. I think he lives in Kentucky. I think he's still alive. He's in his seventies now. Um, but uh, really, it, it feels in a lot of ways like European comic books, right? And I was steeped into that as a kid, anyways. You know, stuff like like the Asterix books um, or Lucky Luke, right? So I was steeped into that kind of vibe, anyways. Not just American comic books, but European comic books. And this seems to be like this this intersection of those two uh, formats and those two notions. Um, and I think I really loved it for that. I'd Chris, so what do you think could have been better? And I, I can almost predict a few of the things you're going to say. Oh, man. Some of this really did not age well. Um, the the Native American um, characters or allegorical characters um, are pretty cringeworthy. The dialogue is, is, is not great, but I think... The, the greatest sin of this first volume is the entire situation with the witch doctor. It's, it's just bad. It's, it's, it's really bad. It's, it made me feel viscerally uncomfortable reading it. Um, and I think it, it's just really unfortunate. And even thinking back about when I first read it makes me uncomfortable. Now you may want to refresh my memory. The witch doctor stuff is that the Bombi the zombie stuff? Yes, yes, that is actually specifically what uh, is not going to be reprinted anymore. Is uh, I think last year, nearly a year ago, I think February of twenty three, Walt Disney came out and basically said that there are two stories um, of Don Roses that are not going to be uh, reprinted anymore, and both involve uh, the the Bombi the zombie character. Um. Which I think uh, modern the modern DuckTales cartoon actually introduced the character and did a significant uh, rework and redesign. Um, and I think found a really good way of, 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 of salvaging something that has not aged well is probably an understatement. Um, Bombi the Zombie, if I remember correctly, was also a character that was first introduced by Carl Barks. And so uh, in... in assembling this like timeline of Scrooge McDuck's life Rosa kind of had to include the character in order to um, stay quote unquote in continuity I guess but yeah I totally agree that that character uh, is is an absolute mess yeah and I think it's just um, I think it's a blind spot when you have I mean Don Rosa is a white man doing the writing and the art and that's just a blind spot when you're looking at this released in the 90s, you said, so 30 years ago. Yeah. Oh, my God, that feels weird to say. Something 30 years ago. I And, and even to this day, Dave, I think there is a lot of glorification of Scotch-Irish heritage. Like that is, for white people, 
like being scotch irish is like the pinnacle of achievement or like the scottish highland games like it's 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 like this crazy almost like like epitome of white culture yeah i think scottish more so than irish though especially in the united states i think there is yeah, yeah. If, if you sort of analyze the history of the irish in uh you know in american history in particular you know for for a very very long time um particularly in the 1800s the irish weren't even considered white you know like the right. americans were right. very anti-irish and there was a very strong um like like it's really hard to describe like whole political parties came up you know and 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 then sunk back down around the notion of excluding the irish as much as possible there was a very anti-irish immigrant rhetoric in in the united states for several decades but yeah i agree i think especially uh in the last 20 30 years or so that that pendulum has has shifted uh significantly but again i think to a certain extent um you know rose's hands are at least semi-tied here you know when it comes to like this mm-hmm. idea of the scottish being heroic because that that's something he, he inherited with the character like scrooge mcduck right. is a scottish character and he is the main character so unless he's going to go through like making the main character of his story you know not good and not and not heroic then he's kind of he's kind of stuck with that right I'm, and i'm not objecting to that by any means but it, at at what cost you know what i'm saying Oh, absolutely. At what, yeah. At what cost? Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of, uh, by modern standards, sort of cultural missteps in this, right? I think I think the Bombi, the zombie thing is just sort of the tip of the iceberg. There's a lot of that. The Native American stuff for sure as well. Um, when he goes to, to South Africa, that whole episode is, is you know, there, there are things there that definitely are, by modern standards, huge missteps. I totally agreed on that. I mean, like, if anything, like the only the only way that I could get through with it with some of it, I was like, is the anthrop- anthropomorphic like animal aspect of it. I was like, okay, he's a duck. Like, takes takes a little bit of the edge off, yeah, right? Oh, yeah, because some of that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely, man. I I totally understand where you're coming from, and and you know, encountering this and reading this as a kid. I mean, in the early '90s when this was being released in Europe, I was. I was like eight. Yeah. You know, uh, there's a lot of cultural context that you're lacking when you, when you encounter that kind of stuff. So, well, even, even growing up with Disney films like Dumbo, like you had no idea as a kid. And then you, yeah, the Jim, the Jim Crow stuff is the Jim Crow stuff is, uh, is that it's kind of smacks you in the head, you know, (laughs) when you, when you realize what's going on there as a kid, you're like, wait a minute, you know, (laughs) <laughs> yeah like a like a scene like if you're a kid and you're like what scenes stick out that's not even a scene that like you remember off the top of your head but then like yeah. you revisit that it's like my god we're really the thing that stuck out to me about dumbo as a kid was was dumbo getting high on on, on the supply so to speak like that whole <laughs> like dream sequence or whatever you want to call it is some of the yeah. most psychedelic stuff I've seen in a Disney movie in my entire life. Yeah. I, that that one stuck with me as a kid. I was like, what was happening there? Oh, Fantasia. I think we got flashed in Fantasia. That was one for me. We <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> right. also had an elementary music class and I was like, whoa! Yeah. They got, a little, they got by with a little bit more uh, back in the day as far as what they showed in classrooms, I sometimes think. So what surprised you the most about this story? Scrooge McDuck is in the same 
ethos of like a Pecos bill of like this tall tale. Like that was, that was, it was this really probably if I, if I were to revisit it, probably not very good, but like I, I used to be in love with like the tall tales of like Pecos bill, um, uh, Paul Bunyan being a Midwest kid from Minnesota, like, Paul Bunyan, like, hey, that's Minnesota, man. Uh, you know, John Henry, like, there was a movie called Tall Tale, and it, if I were to probably visit it, probably wouldn't be very good. But, like, man, I love the crap out of that movie back as, as a kid. And so, like, that made this very easy for me to enjoy that Scrooge McDuck, who I had seen as just this grumpy old curmudgeon, had some of that joie de vivre of those tall tale characters that I loved growing up. Yeah, that sort of tall tale approach I really liked as well. You know, to me, uh, looking back over some of the stuff, it was surprising how much um, Scrooge is just like, (laughs) I know it's it's an anthropomorphized duck, right? But it's interesting to me how how human, I guess, Scrooge comes across in the story, right? Like that drive where that comes from, you know, how he, how he grew up and, and how that informs him wanting to go out there and make his fortune. I think the thing that stuck out to me even years later, even before you know, like kind of revisiting the story, is that moment when he when he finds gold, right? And he's holding this big clump in his hands and it's mud covered. And he like stops for a second. You know, like he realizes if he washes this thing and it's actually really gold that it's going to change everything. And he actually reflects for a moment, like, do I really want to do this? You know, there's a, there's like a, a a real a real mensch in there in this like grumpy, rich character that is like misery and stingy and doesn't want to share. Like, it's it's so interesting to take a character like that and for a lack of a better term, humanize him. And I think that came that came across in a lot of scenes in the story that I really looking back on it, I had not expected. And I think the cautionary tale, you you made me think of this when you were talking about how human this cartoon duck can be, is the being able to see the complete journey um, from youth into elder age, into adulthood, and, and into, you know, senior citizenship. Um and how he was admired by his family his parents his sisters as this hero going on the journey to to strike out for himself and and to send money back to his family and then unfortunately like the falling out that he had with his sisters because he got too into it and how that damaged the very reason that he started this journey to begin with. That was incredibly, incredibly human and uh, probably a better answer for what surprised me the most. Yeah. Yeah. There's just, there's, there's, it's such a two edged sword to revisit the story as, as written and as originally published, because like you said, there is stuff in there that is aged incredibly poorly, but then there are moments in there that are just such sheer comic book brilliance, you know? Um, It's, it's very much a two edged sword these days. So what uh, continuity or larger universe issues did you encounter trying to read this one, Chris? Nothing really. I mean, 
I that's probably this is probably one of the most new reader friendly things that we've we've covered on the show because it literally starts at the very beginning. Um, and so other than the fact that I don't remember anything about watching DuckTales other than that he's a grumpy old guy and that theme song was Flames. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> we need to <laughs> we need to do remember. a whole we, we need to do a whole episode about 1980s and 90s cartoon themes yeah dude or or really or really listen just like, our first episode like our first episode we literally just injected clips because that's what drew us to those things was was the x-men 90s theme song was the batman the animated series theme song like but man, I, I, I'm, I'm telling you, man, especially like the Disney afternoon stuff, you know, uh, Rescue Rangers, Tailspin. Ch-ch-ch-ch-pendale. Um, so oh good, God. man. DuckTales. Ah. I, I still ride for the dumb gummy, Disney's Gummy Bears theme. I still ride for that theme. I'll still put that on, on on Apple Music sometimes. That is one heck of a theme, you know. I miss that. I miss music. I'm, I miss real like TV themes. Like a lot of TV shows don't even really do themes anymore. Uh, then maybe that's nostalgia talking. Half but the time, half the that... time it's, it's just a song that like by a regular artist. And so like, even if it's a show you like, you can skip it because it's half the time you're doing it as title sequence. Like there's, like, like there's that DuckTales track. Every, there's one every now and then. Like, like Game of Thrones, I'll watch that title sequence every time. Like, even the the season we don't acknowledge like like incredible i think there's something that just sets the mood like when you watch a ducktales cartoon and you got that theme you're you're ready for it you know you're feeling it you know you're you're in the zone for for that kind of mindset and i think that is something that misses in a lot of modern uh stories it's just like let's let's go ahead and just like set the mood a little bit you know and and correct me if I'm wrong, I might be reading too much into this, but there's something I think that's that's kind of interesting from a st- historical whatever standpoint of of the 90s as a moment in time and how attention grabbing it was. We had loud colors that popped. We had music and intro th- uh, uh, theme songs for shows that just grabbed your attention. Like, it, it's just kind of funny to think about all of that stuff. I'm looking at a nostalgia page right now. And we have fluorescent color pencils that, that transport me back like Lisa Frank notebooks that girls had. Um, and then you have like really attention grabbing theme songs like this, man. Yeah. Um, I, I think maybe that's part and parcel of the, of the nineties, but I think the eighties did this really well as well. I just, just, you know, not, not to go too non-nerdy for a second, but, you know, there was a, a sitcom in the 80s that uh, I recently, like a couple of years ago, rewatched in its entirety, and that's a Night Court. And this really, like, jazzy opening theme is really, like, I associated very strongly with that show, and it kind of set the mood perfectly for the vibe that that show ended up having. Um, and then they made a remake, uh, not a remake, but a sequel, I guess you could say, a reboot slash sequel right. recently, Right. And the first season was sort of eh, the second season's getting better. I think they're starting to find their their legs a little bit with that show. I think we um, talked about it a little bit on the show. Yeah, but then one of the things they ended up doing with this new season that just started is they basically removed the opening theme. Right? They just hit like three bars from the opening theme and flashed logo, and they get into the episode. So the entire like thirty seconds of that opening theme to really like get you pumped for the show 
is gone. And that's like, I see that more and more happening. It's like, oh, we got to squeeze a couple, we got to squeeze one more ad in there to get a little extra money out of it. So let's just drop the theme. I think it's very cynical. I don't think the lack of, of themes, um, traditional themes like that is necessarily a, a, a creative decision. I think it's very much a, Hey, we can have a theme or we can squeeze one more ad in here and get some more money. And I think that's exactly what's happening. As far as larger uh, continuity universe things, this this does very much stand on its own. But if you end up liking it, there is a lot of Don Rosa stuff out there. And then, of course, Rosa built everything that he did really on the foundation of Barks, right? And so the, all of that stuff is out there too in, in various releases. There's a lot of really quality Disney comic books, believe it or not, uh, even though you will occasionally encounter some, by modern standards, very, very troubling stuff. It's very... Uh, it's a jungle out there. Let's put it that way. Um, how do you think reading this text will change your reading choices going forward? Can you see yourself reading some more Duck-inspired comics, Chris? It, I I might dive into the second trade paperback. Um, I, I really I keep saying this when we have episodes like this, um, or when you make nerd commendations. But like, I really have to. If you'll pardon my French, I have to really branch out from the cape. Like I, I, I superheroes are what hooked me as a kid and what made it an easy transition when I like started regularly reading comics in my twenties. And so, um, it's, it's really, I I almost feel like unfaithful. (laughs) Like, I feel like there's a measure (laughs) of, I, I swear to God, I wish I was joking. There almost feels like a measure of infidelity when I read DC comics like I'm just like, well, what I, I'm going to forget what happens in the Marvel universe, and I I need to hurry up and read a Marvel book. It's I I'm so weird. I'm so strange when it comes to my reading habits, dude. Um, I like off. I'm also very passionate, and I'm very I can get swept up in my emotions, and so I enjoyed Gotham Knights so much that I bought a year long subscription to DC Universe Infinite and barely used it. Um, it is now, uh, it is now expired. And I, I, I read a couple, I, I read, I read some Nightwing because that was my biggest takeaway from the game is, as I read 30 issues of, um, Nightwing until he got shot in the head and that was stupid. And then I tried to jump forward to Tom Taylor, but I fell off because I'm perpetually distracted. So, um, <laughs> I, I really just need to branch out and just, like it's 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 okay i'm not cheating on anybody if i read other stuff <laughs> yeah it's it's really interesting you say that because i'm sitting here uh you know recording in my home office and i'm looking at my bookshelves right and i got three three rows of dc graphic novels right and then i have one row of marvel graphic novels and then i have another three rows of just like anything that is not related to superheroes you know so it's like, it's just like really, I think, I, I don't consider myself like necessarily disloyal when I read Marvel stuff, but Marvel is one of those things that really has to hit me the right way for me to get really into it, you know? Um, so Same I have with a lot DC. of DC Same stuff. with DC. Funny you say that. That's exactly how I feel about DC. I, 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 the reason, the reason Dick hits me is because it, it feels like Peter. And, and so I can have that connective um, tissue. Excuse me? There's a little bit of there's a little bit of Peter and Dick. <laughs> it fe- 
you know, I'm 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 gonna go ahead and Peter, say that it, Peter it, 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 and it feels like it, I think it, I think we we need to make a shirt that says it feels like Peter, okay? Because and dick, you, you just you just you just really you just really kind of took me aback with that one. <laughs> we have another Attack of the Crones situation happening. Here yeah, I think so, people. Yeah, but I think. What I was trying to say earlier is that I, I, even though I have a very strong foundation with like DC comic books, I also because I grew up in that in that European comic book market, um, it's almost like like part of me is from a bygone era. Like you know, if you look at like a, the American comic book market, you know the the romance comics, the Western comics. You know, I I'm I'm much. I am much more accepting of branching into something like that than I think a lot of people who came up on superhero comic books are because I had my my historical comedy in Asterix. I had you know, I had my my uh my western with with stuff like Lucky Luke, you know, I had the 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 European tinged um Disney comics. One of my favorite things to read when I was a kid was uh a Mickey Mouse series that that cast mickey mouse basically as a private eye right so it's like detective mickey mouse story so i have i have a love of detective stories in comic books right i have because of that that european upbringing that infusion of those 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 european comic books um i'm very into diving into other genres within comic books for for me, very much comic books does not equal superheroes, right? It's just it's just a facet of it, right? And so it's not surprising that I have as many you know non superhero books on my shelf as I do superhero books. Um, so I I will I will say if you're really wanting to branch out, a I have lots of nerd commendations, but b you you really should because there's so much good stuff out there that's not superheroes. Um, and stuff that is so even even something as huge as The Walking Dead, I think the comic book is so worth reading, especially compared to the TV show. You know, there are very very cool things out there that have nothing to do with superheroes. It's it's funny. Um, if I can get through the new Dead Wardians, like that's probably the weirdest thing I'll ever read. <laughs> it was so good though. Come on, that is a great story. I don't even uh, care, man. That was a great okay. story. I'm going to color outside the lines here. What do you make of this Robert Kirkman stuff where he's getting sued by collaborators? You mentioned I don't even know, man. Um, I think... Hey, I, you know, when I first started trying to write in the comic book industry, I was um, naive as all get out. Right about the process and about the collaborative process, specifically with 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 artists, and I am very proud of how I have evolved in in that viewpoint. Right, because I was very much in my in my early twenties, the well, the writer is the originator and he's the most important person, and blah blah blah. And, and I'm so glad that that I grew out of that absolutely tone deaf view. Right, and. If you could talk to some of my most recent collaborators as I'm trying to get back into it, I think you would you would hear that I'm a very, very collaborative person. And kudos to the artists who are in a visual medium at least as much, if not more important, than the writer, because the the, the how to how to frame, you know, the, these these images and how how to tell the story sequentially, you know, is is the key to good comic book storytelling. Um and so Kirkman being, you know, a writer uh, and getting sued 
by artists for not, you know, sharing in the profits, I guess. I think that's a very troubling thing. And it's definitely, if, if that is accurate, then, then obviously that is a totally merited thing, you know, because th- those collaborators, you know, are the key to success in the comic book world. And so with a franchise like The Walking Dead, for example, uh, which became, you know, a TV show and is, you know, still getting like a spin-off miniseries or movie or something still, you know, they're going to bring the Rick Grimes character back, I think, in the live action version. Um, is that show still on? The show is over. Uh, the spin-off show is over, but I think okay. they have like additional spin-offs coming. I think there's I think a spin-off that's... coming that's oh. like focused on Daryl Dixon, and then there's supposed to be some kind of spin-off that's focusing on Rick Grimes because they wrote off that cam that character, right? Um, really, that that whole the television franchise is just a mess compared to the comic book. The comic oh. book is just solid, it good. Just, it's so good taxing. Comics, I right? think I I think I watched like three or four episodes when the governor was like the big bad. And yeah, I remember that it was like season season two or three. Yeah, um, it was. But now, like, kind of punting back and looking at it's it's exhausting. Just to even the comic book is it. so much better. I think that's what it comes down to. But but to my point, I think I think Kirkman made a goodly ton of money there. Uh, and if so, if a collaborator has not been getting their their fair share, mm-hmm. then then you know then shame on him. He should have been justly compensated. Um, but that's really something for the legal system to decide, not for me, right? Um, I can just say that I think the artists are an incredibly important ingredient of making a successful story. And any writer that doesn't fairly compensate their artists is uh, is on the wrong side of that particular issue. All right, we're going to turn the tables here. Uh, Dave has read... Moon Knight by Judd McCain and Federico Sabatini, issues one through twelve. Um, I was I was at a point where I was very disillusioned. Um, just to give a, a brief history lesson on, on how I found this book, um, uh, it's very much word of mouth on Twitter, X, Twix. Um, people were were posting panels of this, and I was very intrigued by it. Uh, my son is very interested in this character and had read the first couple issues. Um, and I was in, a, I was very disillusioned with X-Men comics. Um, I was very hurt by the events of the Hellfire Gala that we talked about on the last episode. And so I was like, I, I was sitting here thinking like, there's so many good comics out there and my loyalty to the X franchise is not giving me anything in return. So I'm going to go read the good stuff. And for me, the first place I went was Moon Knight, which started in 2021. It's written by Jed McKay. One of the main pencilers is Alessandro Capuccio. Uh, Dave, what did you like most about what you read? This was, uh, this, this got shockingly deep. Um, actually, uh, particularly with the character of Moon Knight. And I thought it was really interesting the the approach that McKay took here. In the first 12 issues, there's not a lot going on with uh, with Moon Knight's multiple personalities. I think in one at one point in one of the issues, there's like a shot that takes place in his head and he sort of pocketed, you know, all of the uh, all of the various personalities and kind of locked them away, right? 
And so it's basically just Mark Spector for the first 12 issues. And, and you don't see another one of his personalities pop up until the end of issue 12. Um, and so what that, what that afforded McKay to do with this book was to really dive into the psychology of, of the character of Mark Spector. Like, who is he? Why is he the way he is? And, and you know, why does he do what he does? And, you know, it, it's, a, it's kind of a trope at this point, but he does have a therapist character that he goes to. Uh, because the Avengers apparently demanded that he go go to a therapist, <laughs> which I thought was interesting. But um, we get really an interesting sense of a guy here who is still carrying the weight of a lot of bad things he did in his life. Um, a, a guy who is carrying the weight of being bound to a god that he doesn't approve of, right? And so on the one hand, he, you know, he's turned against his god, and on the other hand, Kanshu, this 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 Egyptian god of the moon, he also is um, still continuing the mission, right, of protecting people who travel in the night. So there is there's a real interesting dichotomy in the character of Mark Spector. And you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna be real honest. As far as Moon Knight is concerned, I have not read any Moon Knight comic books before this one. Um, it's just never been really that strongly on my radar. Um, and I'm aware and have like watched a few minutes of the Moon Knight TV show uh, on Disney Plus, but I never actually finished that either. So you could say in a lot of ways, this was my first real exposure to the character of like really spending any any kind of amount of time uh, with Moon Knight. And what I ended up feeling is that this is a very interesting and complex character. I think that McKay really nails something in the writing to make, make this character compelling. And... I, I'm not going to stop at issue 12. It ended in a really interesting cliffhanger. And I think I'm going to continue this run on because I really, now that he's in, now that he's actually going to play with like the multiple personalities a little bit, I'm very interested how he's going to continue diving into, into the Mark Spector character, into the, what, what you could probably say the dominant character is in, in, in the situation and then juxtapose them with the other characters. I was really just interested in Spectre as a character, even the fact that for like a huge chunk of the series, he's never even taken his mask off, right? Because he, he can't, he can't bear to, to show his face. You know, I think there's just, there's a really interesting character here, much deeper and much more interesting than I, I initially thought. It's funny because, um, the Egyptophile in me, like, Ancient Egypt has always been one of my calling cards when it comes to um, history. And so Moon Knight, I, I gravitated towards quite easily uh, when the Disney Plus series came out. And I enjoyed it more than most. Um, but this series was really interesting because of my own... We'll, we'll, we'll say it's a journey spiritually. Uh, when it comes to being raised in a very strong evangelical background and becoming disillusioned with that upbringing. And um, it's really, really, really fascinating. And you and I have had a long, long, long discussions about spirituality and Christianity and faith and all that stuff. But I think it was really interesting to see that kind of put on panel in a way that I've, I've never really seen before with someone you are pledged to but have become disillusioned with is really kind of fascinating to see develop. Absolutely. Talking about the Egyptophile in you, um, did you ever listen to the Great Courses uh, History of Ancient Egypt 
by uh, Bob uh, Breyer? No, but I am opening a tab right now. History of Egypt. Yeah, he's a he's a fantastic lecturer, and it's like a, it's like um, a twenty five hour, twenty four and a half hour course on the entire history of ancient Egypt, and it is absolutely fantastic. If as as a his, as a history nerd, if you're into that, there's a lot of really good, great courses content. But but the history of ancient Egypt by Bob Breyer, I think, is like a um, a class of its own. It's really, really good. He's a he's a fantastic lecturer. I think you would I think you would really enjoy it. it. It's funny. I've never been interested in going and getting a master's degree or anything, but I've I've enrolled in ancient history courses in like Coursera just to watch lectures, just because I love that stuff so much. Like I don't I don't want the extra accreditation. Money money has never been a motivating factor for me, salary. Like, I just want to learn things about ancient history. And I've always been like an origin point kid. Like, I want to know where things come from. When it Linguistically, that's probably why I fell in love with foreign languages. It's like, I want to know where things come from. And so this was a natural transition for me. Um, but following on to our second question, what do you think uh, could have been better here? Yeah, this is this is going to sound weird, uh, but uh, the character of Hunter's Moon, which is like this, the other fist of Khonshu, um, in the first few issues, I thought that was a really interesting build, you know, with him basically saying, I'm coming to correct you, and, you know, you, you're, you've you strayed. And I thought there was a really interesting conflict brewing there, a really interesting juxtaposition. And instead, um, it comes to a head very quickly in the third or fourth issue, and, and Moon Knight basically just beats the snot out of him. And 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 after that, he's sort of a, a an ally, right? And a, lo- a lot of what was a really interesting conflict between the the acolyte that strayed versus the acolyte that remains loyal gets very much just kind of pushed aside. Now, maybe that is something that's going to come back in the back half of this run because I only read the first twelve issues, but I was really disappointed that that was not further explored so far. I thought there was a really rich, fertile ground for an interesting exploration of that juxtaposition. And and it, it has not yet come to fruition. Now, this might be something where I'm going to eat my words once I continue reading, but it just, it, it, it just kind of swerved very abruptly, you know? Like, here he is, and he's going to try to correct him and, and, and put him on the proper path, and then boom... Uh, now he's now he's an ally, you know, and it's, it it swerved very quickly to the point where I think one of the issues uh, took place during Devil's Reign, and like Mark Spector is in jail, and so that issue just focuses on on Hunter's Moon basically stepping in and like being As being Moon his Knight, substitute, yeah. right? Yeah, like that's a that's a huge swerve within the course of six seven issues, you know. So I was I was a little disappointed that there was not more exploration of that juxtaposition. I, I guess I can see where you're coming from, and I I I can tell you that there is more of that journey and that story coming in in the subsequent issues. But I don't disagree with what you're saying. Um, I think um, it was it was pretty abrupt, and I think there could have been some more stuff flushed out there in the conflict between the two of them. Uh, but Dave, what surprised you the most about reading this? Hmm. You know, that's an excellent question. Um, I I think what probably surprised me the most is how new reader friendly it was. I think if I was looking in the, uh, at the, at the issue numbers, I think the legacy number was like 200 something for much of this, right? 
So there's a lot of Moon Knight that came before, and they drop a few references him, you know, of him having been in the Avengers in the West Coast Avengers, right? So there's a lot of history there, and at the same time, I never felt, um, I never felt lost, if that makes sense, right? Like everything integrated really well, and I felt perfectly comfortable just reading this story and not having to go and read like 20 other stories to make sense of what was going on. You know, it was McKay did a fantastic job of balancing, like referencing Moon Knight's past and and past adventures and stuff. And at the same time, not lingering on it to the point where you felt like it was essential to understand this story. And I think that is a very, very hard, is a very difficult for a lot of writers and comic books to manage these days to balance this massive continuity with, um, you know, the story that they're trying to tell and making it accessible. And I, and I was very, very pleased that I didn't have to go and read 200 other issues of Moon Knight in order to enjoy this story. It's funny because here's a peek behind the curtains, but you texted me like, I've never read a Moon Knight comic before. What do I need to know? And Full disclosure, the only Moon Knight that I had read was the Jeff Lemire run that I previously nerd commended, and it wasn't anything like earth-shattering lore-wise, but um, it was it was kind of a great like one-off series of adventures and street-level type of stuff. So um, I'm going to lead right into that next question. Were there any things that were just a bridge too far when it came to continuity or larger universe issues? Well, I think the only thing that uh, I struggled with a little bit is the the, the former uh, Avengers teammate that showed up. What was her name? Tigra, Tigra or whatever. Tigra. Yeah, I'm not familiar with that character. More on that later. Enough. More on that later. And not familiar with her history. Um. She's hot with Moon Knight, Whoa. right? So I didn't know, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't know how to feel about some of the stuff that was going on with her. Like she's there and she's supporting Moon Knight, but but then she's spying on him for somebody, and I'm like, am I supposed to be really shocked at this? Is this supposed to be really out of character, or is this quite par the course? Um, you know, so I, I I guess that was the part, the only continuity issue that I really I wasn't sure how to take her as a character. And more importantly, to how, how I was supposed to interpret her actions, you know, like, is this a huge betrayal or is this a nothing burger? I really didn't get a beat on that until the 12th issue when when her and, and Moon Knight actually talk about it. Right. And then I'm like, oh, OK. But but leading up to that, I really didn't know how to take that whole that whole situation, you know. It's so funny you say that, but we are definitely coloring outside the lines today. I don't know how this wasn't my news story, but Jason Aaron is taking over Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And I have never felt more diametrically opposed with a creator with one title to another. Um, Jason Aaron's Thor is one of my first nerd commendations. One of the first nerd commendations that you really took to heart and enjoyed as much as I did. And then you have his Avengers run, which the less said about that, the better. Um, And so I think that Avengers run, which I purged through 20 issues, I trudged through 20 issues of that, I think, um, kind of gives some context here with the Tigra situation. But um, 
the less the less Avengers we get on on TMNT, something that's very very important to me, um, the better. And hopefully we can get more of that Thor stuff. Um, but yeah, so there's not a whole lot of context other than Conchu goes crazy, and Mark is kind of the person caught in the crosshairs. Yeah, I, I got that part. I guess what my problem really was was just the character of of Tigra, right? Like, what is her relationship to Mark? Is I her think spying they're on West betrayal? Coast Avengers. I think yeah, they're on West Coast Avengers together. I, I, I don't yeah. know. So that, that you know, like I said, McKay did a fantastic job explaining like the setup of the series and what came before without lingering on it. Like the context of, of, of somebody needs to keep an eye on him because he, you know, he did some bad stuff. Like I, that, totally understood i just wasn't quite clear on on tigra and how strong her relationship with this moon knight and and if her spying on him was some kind of large betrayal or if that's something part of the course for the character it it was just a little confusing until the 12th issue uh you've teased this a tad but how do you think this will change your reading choices moving forward uh long story short i'm gonna read the rest like yeah. i continue this run and if it continues going as strong as that, I may go ahead and punt back and uh, write uh, and read the uh, Lemire run as well because I like his writing, anyways. Um, uh, so I'm I'm finding myself enjoying Moon Knight a lot more than I anticipated. Um, there's something almost DC about that character. Does that sound weird to say? Okay. So number one, I want to point out I'm a little bit disappointed in you that you haven't talked about the best character in this run. And maybe because she hasn't been fleshed out enough in these first 12 issues, I can't remember. Uh, my sweet niece, Reese the Vampire. I love her with all my heart. I like her great deal. I think she didn't really come into her own un- until right at the end there uh, of, of what I read. I think I think that's when she really started clicking with me. She was kind of there, you know, but then, then at the end there when, Just she, uh, when she's about had it. And she starts like, mm-hmm. you know, going off a little bit. That's when I was like, oh, oh, there's some more coming with her. So I think I think there's just some stuff that I'm missing at this point that I still need to encounter with her. Right. Okay. So here's the the second point that I'm interested in. One of the laziest comparison, in my opinion, on comic Twitter, Twix, is Moon Knight and Batman. I said it's like ramen and spaghetti are the same because they both have noodles. What do you make of that comparison? I don't think he is. Uh, okay, so when I said that uh, there's something DC about him, I I didn't mean at all that he's like Batman. I don't, I, right. don't, I don't see that. I don't see that at all, right? I mean, if you have somebody wearing a mask and running around at night, newsflash, there's a whole crap ton of superheroes that do that, right? <laughs> I don't, I, I don't think that, I don't think that that is an apt comparison at all. I think the reason um, I find that there's something very DC about him is because street level characters in DC are all a little broken. Mm. If that makes sense. Yes. Batman sure falls into that category, but if you kind of just go through the street level heroes, you know, Manhunter, for example, uh, definitely a little broken uh renee montoya's version of the question or even the preceding question vic sage very much broken characters right there is something very broken in street level characters at dc and then if you if you look over at marvel you have daredevil who is kind of fits that mold depending on what run you're reading right um 
And then Moon Knight is very much in that mold. But then you get to something like Spider-Man, who's very much a quippy, more upbeat kind of character for the most part, even though he goes through some serious crap, right? Um, So to me, I think when I read very broken street-level characters, it's very reminiscent of DC characters to me. There's something inherently always like complex, broken characters that that operate as street-level heroes at DC. And I think that's really... In that way, he has a similarity to Batman, right? Um, but I think I think what comics Twitter Twixer there is talking about is very much uh, superficial stuff, and I don't see I don't necessarily see that comparison at all. All right, that wraps uh, your review of Moon Knight, Dave. I'm going to hand you the keys to the episode again. Back to the keys to the kingdom, absolutely. So, uh, what did you think of Jet McKay's run on Moon Knight, and what did you think of the life and times of Scrooge McDuck? If you've read these books, sound off on social media. We are available wherever social media exists at Nerd by Word and individually at that Nerd Dave and at that Nerd Chris. Time for a quick break, and when we come back, it's time for our patented nerd commendations. So, stick around. Ladies and gentle nerds, we are back and it is time for us to recommend some good nerdy media to you. You know it as our... All right, Chris, uh, it's it's Chip Zdarsky. It can't be bad. So what you got? So I am nerd commending Avengers Twilight issue one, which as of the release just came out this past week. I'm going to read the synopsis for you. Quote, in a gleaming new world of prosperity, Captain America is no more, but Steve Rogers still exists, floating through an America where freedom is an illusion, where the Avengers are strangers and his friends are long dead. But is the dream. How do you assemble in a world that doesn't want them, end quote. And listen, man, this is along the same lines of um, that Spider-Man through the ages. Oh, God, what is Spider-Man? Oh, I'm blanking. Life Story. Spider-Man Life Story is what it was. It's very much Spider-Man Life Story. Like, I think what the the cool thing about what Spider-Man Life Story was is in this Marvel timeline, what happens if time is a real thing? And so that's something that's played with here of what happens when the flagship character for Marvel Comics argue arguably the flagship character of marvel comics um actually ages and the super uh, the super soldier serum is gone and you have a very fahrenheit 451 you have a very v for vendetta kind of situation when it comes to government and oversight and there's curfew involved and Um, everyday people are getting lost in the shuffle, but you still have Steve Rogers, this paragon of truth and justice and doing the right thing, um, how that kind of collides. And that's all well and good. That's a fascinating story to tell. But Dave, the reason we are here today talking about Avengers Twilight is Daniel freaking Acuna, who 
drew penciled the second volume of uh black panther uh by tanahasi coates and as i have told many folks that is my dreamscape it is one of the most beautiful things i've ever experienced in the medium of comic books and it is no disappointment here you've got alex ross covers so i mean like it's the best of both worlds um i highly recommend this first issue uh i don't want to spoil anything but i think this just is one of those rousing books that can can get lost in the shuffle of pull lists and weekly releases and regular comic books i i this is this is a series i don't want folks to miss because it's great i'm interested yeah uh so akuna's art is great sadarsky is a fantastic writer i'm a little weary of like alternate universe uh post-apocalyptic futures and all that stuff a little bit at this point um i guess the only really <laughs> only real question i have is the spider-man die right away because Every time Marvel does some kind of post-apocalyptic apocalyptic future, they have to kill off Spidey. Like, that's just like I don't, I don't think I don't. If I'm remembering correctly, I don't think Peter or Spider-Man of any sort features in this at all. Well, uh, maybe maybe they'll I can't remember. Later. I, don't I can't know. remember. Don't quote me on that. Don't quote me on that. Actually, now I'm thinking about it. Don't quote me on that. All right. Well, I'll I'll give it a look because really, really the the selling point to me here is Sadarsky. Uh, uh, Sadarsky has. Uh, earned a great deal of of goodwill for me with that daredevil run like now that you mentioned now that you mentioned that i think peter dies in this one (laughs) (laughs) i'm remembering now it's been a couple days uh for context marvel not marvel not killing off peter parker in a post-apocalyptic future challenge for for context for context dave and i have been snowed in all week we have not gone to work all week and i have read a lot of stuff i've played a lot of games so it's been a minute yeah i think spoilers peter dies in this one <laughs> well like i said uh basic setup sounds interesting although i'm kind of tired of like post-apocalyptic future kind of stuff but sadarsky's name on the cover is definitely going to bring me to the table so i'm putting this on my list i'm going to check it out all right, Dave, uh, we are revisiting a previous nerd commendation, if, uh, if memory serves. Yeah, yeah. So I previously uh, nerd commended um, Ace Attorney Trilogy, uh, the first three games in the Ace Attorney series, which were originally released for Nintendo DS and then re-released for 3DS. Now, we all know that these are, uh, you know, these systems are pretty much dead at this point. And so um, I decided to update my nerd commendation, if you will. Uh, because I recently came across the fact that uh, the original Ace Attorney trilogy has actually now been released on Steam um, as of uh, April of 2019. And I was completely unaware of this. Now, um, I was a big fan of the DS and the 3DS and how it implemented the dual screen thing. Um, and I, these games were pretty much built for that dual screen setup. So I wasn't sure really going into it, um, you know, how that would work. Um kind of reducing it down to a single screen. Um, So I purchased it and I installed it on my Steam Deck. And uh, I have to say, I'm almost through the first of the three games in the trilogy. And it's flawless and seamless. And it looks gorgeous on the larger screen. Uh, It's it's still one heck of a game. Um, So for those people who don't know, this is essentially sort of a... Uh, a visual novel, but with a heavy dose of like puzzle solving and investigation, right? As you... um, 
you know, work as a fictional defense attorney called Phoenix Wright. Um, you're going through some some very anime-inspired courtroom proceedings, which are broken up through uh, with investigations where you go to crime scenes and the like and have to uh, interview uh, suspects, talk to witnesses, gather evidence. And then in the courtroom scenes, you're looking for... Um, you know, problems in people's testimony and you have to press them or present evidence that contradicts them in order to trip them up and come to the truth. Um, and it, the characters are all really, really interesting. Um, the, the, the actual crimes are really interesting. Uh, it's very, uh, you know, you start off in the first game, particularly as like a very young attorney, you're brand new to the job. And so people underestimate you and you can kind of use that a little bit to your advantage. Um, and I really, really love this series. It's, it's something very chill about playing these. Um, the writing is really strong on these. The characters are all memorable. Uh, and so replaying this first game has been a real blast. And it works so flawlessly um, with just one screen. I was kind of surprised by that. Uh, and so I wanted to re you know, nerd commend Ace Attorney Trilogy. If you've never played them, uh, they are available on Steam. I think they're also available on Xbox these days. Um, and they're very, very playable just because they're older games that were developed for um, Nintendo DS. Uh, don't think that these are bad looking games by any stretch of the imagination or that the gameplay isn't fun. And it works fabulously on one screen. I'm a big, big fan of this series. And I think I'm going to finally go further you know, down the rabbit hole past the uh, initial trilogy and, and dive into some of the spinoffs and stuff as well. Because uh, this, the gameplay loop of this is absolutely satisfying, man. Listen, now that I'm back in the world of Switch, I, I am very intrigued by this. Um, and so I'm already, as you're giving your entire spiel, I'm looking up, where can I get this discounted? Is that, to circle back, is it a digital version or a physical version? Wherever I can get it the cheapest, I'm, I'm, I'm in. You're just a regular old bargain hunter. Alrighty, folks, there you have it. That's it for another episode of the Nerd Byword Podcast. If you like what you just heard, get on your favorite podcasting platform, drop us a rating and review, uh, and subscribe so you never miss another episode. Uh, also, tell a friend, tell a family member, tell the, the, your favorite fellow nerd. Uh, talk about us at the comic shop. Let people know that we're out there uh, because we would love to gain some more listeners and, and bring our positive brand of nerdiness to a larger audience. And as always, be sure to follow us on social media at nerd by word across all platforms individually that nerd Dave and that nerd Chris as well. And as always stay well, and stay nerdy. The nerd by word is written and produced by Chris and Dave, two nerds with a love of all things pop culture. The podcast features music by Al Jimenez with additional drops composed by Joe Biondi. Our show art is by Ashery Design. Find us at nerdbyword.com and wherever podcasts are available. Mm-hmm.